welcome to Hit the Six. It is Sunday, the 20th of December. Tier four has just been announced. Michael, go on. I know we don't, we're not a COVID podcast, but give me your instant reaction to that lovely news. Um, yeah, we're not a COVID podcast. Um, and, you know, I won't go on for too long, but it does stagger me quite how little this government believes in forward planning. Because I think me and you putting our heads together could have come up with a better forward plan if we wanted to make Christmas happen than they have. So it does seem a bit ridiculous. Um, doesn't actually change my plans because I wasn't planning to see my parents anyway. We kind of ruled it out earlier this month because it just seemed easier because I'm staying at Sophia's, my girlfriend's in Watford. So we're just spending the month here. So it doesn't really change it for me. How about you? Um, yeah, a sort of similar. Uh, I've had taken the line on Christmas celebrations. If I, if I tell you my Christmas plans, I'd have to kill you. So I won't speak beyond that yeah. what I'm doing for Christmas. We don't want you to be dobbed in by our many hundreds of thousands of listeners, Rob. No, and I, and I trust I won't be. But, but anyway, tier four, it is what it is. And much more importantly, in the world of scandal and shocks, India bowled out for, what was it, 36 on Saturday morning. Go on, give us your thoughts on that, Michael. I just couldn't believe it. It was one of those ones, you know, where you turn it on. It's like when I turned on to a David Milan 99 not out the other day and I just thought, that's ridiculous. Even more so this time. You mean expect that from us, not from India. Um, Kohli must have been doing his nut. We were just talking before the pod worked me about how angry he must have been with uh, Rahane, was it? Was it Rahane who um, ran him out uh, when he was set on 70-odd? What was your reaction to that? Yeah, it was, that, that was a critical moment. And the look on Rahane's face, A, when he ran him out, but B, when he got out LBW about two overs later, said it all. I mean, what have I done? And as he trudged off to the back of the dressing room, there was a sense that he was going to get a dressing down, at least, by his captain. But interestingly, second time round, when they were bowled out for, for 36, made me realise uh, that really, particularly their, their test lineup is heavily reliant on the middle order of Pujara, Kohli, Rahane. And of those three, it was Kohli whose dismissal was the softest when they got skittled. Chasing a wide one, the ball before he'd um, edged it through gully for four. And that ball, Tim Payne was saying behind the stumps, you know, this one's coming to you, Greeny, this one's coming to you because Green was at Gully, and Cody straight away chases another wide one straight to, um, yeah, straight to Gully and out. So Rahane and Pujara both got out to Hazelwood in the same over, and he really felt there wasn't a huge amount they could do about them. It was one of those ones where they had to play at it, and the ball moved not a lot, but just enough to go from hitting the middle of the bat to taking the edge. And once those three were out, and the openers had already fallen, you, you kind of assumed almost this was... You know, tail, the tail collapsed for 11 in the first inning. So the second innings, it seemed that the same happening again was, it was inevitable. And, and indeed it was. I mean, India's away record in tests isn't great. Like, this is stacking up as a pretty consistent thing. I know nobody's away record is great. But their batting in particular is so reliant on Kohli away. So that'd be worrying for them. Especially with Kohli leaving for the series. But yeah, my main overriding feeling is we are not going to win the Ashes back next year, are we? Because with that bowling attack of Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark, it's pretty unbelievable, isn't it? We're just going to get blown away. Yeah, we're going to. We'll lose by three or four tests at this rate. Because they skittled England in the wonderful Headingley test that we ended up winning. They still bowled us out for double figures. And as I was watching it, in Australia, fast, hard pitches as well, there's no way that we wouldn't have been bowled out like this as well. Granted, India didn't bat well, and they shouldn't have been bowled out to 36, whatever it was. But at the same time, I can see us scoring more than 130 in that innings. And if they bowled like that consistently enough, I can see us 
getting past 250 like we did last time, struggled to get past 250. Our bowling attack's not good enough to, to match that. And so, sadly, I think it will be a long wait yet until we're winning the Ashes down under. The issue is as well that they're much better suited to most of the pitches. Adelaide is a pitch we are suited to, but their bowling attack is also very suited to Adelaide. So the one pitch where we get brought into play a bit more, a bit more in it for the bowlers, there's more in it for them as well. I mean, we are incredibly dependent on Joffre becoming the world's best test bowler by the Ashes. Um, Mark Wood being in the form of his life. I do actually think Darrod Milan could maybe get into the batting lineup if he continues batting like he has been in limited overs. He's quite suited to Australian pitches. The selectors said that before. He obviously hit his only test ton out there. I think he could be a bit of a dark horse to get into that batting lineup again. And, and who knows? We might look back as the, the winter that Zach Crawley and Ollie Pope established themselves as cricketing legends uh, and they just scored bags of runs in the form of their life. Crawley, particularly tall, like sitting the ball at the top of the bounce. Why couldn't he go on and and have a series to remember and, and, and we do okay. So maybe not all is lost, but at face value, where home advantage in tests recently seems to have been very significant, where bowlers for this decade have been comfortably on top of batsmen, whereas the decade before was much more of a batsman-heavy decade. Uh, so, yeah, we've got a bowler-heavy era, suiting home advantage, and we've not only have you got those three seamers, but Nathan Lyon, is a very, very capable off spinner. You don't take the number of test wickets he has without being an accomplished spinner. We've only got one bowler, maybe two, who would match their bowlers, but probably none of our bowlers would be as good as theirs in their conditions. So I think it's, yeah, it's a goner. Yeah, it is a bit rubbish, isn't it? But you know what? I'm still looking forward to it. It's still in ashes. I'll still get excited and my hopes will get up again for the inevitable crushing disappointment. But speaking of India being absolutely skittered in Adelaide, it's time to talk about our next guest, isn't it, Rob? And he is currently based in Adelaide. Um, he is Lewis Hatchett, former Sussex Seema, founder of the Sport Yogi app. And he's got a really cool story that we're going to hear about. Yeah, he was a, he was a great guest. Uh, really interesting. We spoke to him a little while ago, actually, but um, for various reasons, haven't never quite got around to releasing it until now. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good one. And so uh, I hope everyone enjoys it. All right, let's get cracking. Good morning, Lewis, or good afternoon where you are, uh, because, well, almost good evening, because you, um, you're in Australia. Uh, how are you? Pretty good, yeah, it is, it is evening here. It's, uh, it's all ten and a half hours ahead of you, so sitting in the future at the moment. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it never quite feels like that, apart from obviously New Year's. Where it's like you'll be like, oh, it's 2021. <laughs> and for us, it's, it's still. I actually watched funny. the film Back to the Future last night. So, and it's all about, you know, don't, don't tell anyone what happens. It'll wreck, wreck the space time continues. So, yeah, don't let yeah. us <laughs> the next 10 hours of this just in case. No, exactly. Um, so, what, what are you doing in Australia during COVID year? Uh, yeah, well, I kind of ended up getting inadvertently, I kind of describe it, I got it stuck here on purpose in the end. And I, um, I was out here like literally by chance to be to be fair like I started and we'll get into it about sport yogi and and one of my connections on the um on my Instagram of of my account sport yogi was the root academy and I got chatting to the guys that run the root academy Instagram and they were actually running an they've started an academy out in Adelaide and just by chatting to them I was like 
talking about how I'd been chatting to my mates in Adelaide. And, and then suddenly they're like, you're joking. We're about to launch a, an academy out in Adelaide. Do you want to go out and film some content? Because you film content. Do you, would you mind doing it for, for us? And they actually then sent me out. They, they were able to pay for my flight to come out to Adelaide. But in between that, I was able to actually contact my club that I had originally played for out here as a part of my journey of becoming a professional um, and said, look, I'm available for six months. Do you, do you want me to come? Or oh, actually, it was six weeks to begin with, and then they came back within like half an hour. And we're like, we want you for six months. Here's the, we want you to do this coaching role, that coaching role. The head coach is um, former West Indian Test legend Carl Hooper. So okay. like me and me, me and Carl were working together, and so Carl's the head coach, and I was doing the development coach role with him, and then uh, obviously playing A grade in the season, and then I had a good year. Like I had a good year. I, I won club champion. I, I was leading wicket taker and then made the South Australian team of the year. And our, our, once the season sort of finished, bang, COVID hit or COVID was, had already started creeping in by then. And then the, um, the flight that I was meant to get on, gone, that was done. And, uh, and then I chose to, to stay out here throughout the winter so that I could, because all, all my opportunities and what was going on in England just didn't look great at the time and, and, and still doesn't look great, but, I chose to stay here because then I was like, right, I'll just do another summer come, come next year. And, and that's where I'm at now. I'm, I'm sort of 12, 13 months in. I haven't seen my, my family now for, for like nearly coming on 14 months. I haven't seen my girlfriend for 11 months. And so sadly, like those sort of few things I'd like sacrifice, but, um, but I'm really enjoying being with, I'm now running the, the junior program here. So I'm currently playing and running a junior program and, and that's really fulfilling because I've, I've completely restarted the junior setup at, at my district club. And it's really, really fun, really, really fun because we're kind of, um, we're just creating something fresh and new and exciting. Great. And uh, is what, is it quite locked down in Adelaide at the moment? Or are you a bit, got a bit more freedoms? Than the meal yeah, well, um, we literally went through this very weird thing that happened a few days ago where we actually got locked down into, well, when it first hit, I mean, put it into context, ultimately, I've not worn a mask in this whole time. So like, that's how good it's been here in South Australia. We have, we've had probably like 500, I think we've had like 570 cases the whole time it's been going on. So that's how ridiculously low it's been. Um, so yeah, then but then last week we had this like little outbreak with one of the Medi hotels and a and a a, um, a security guard, and it turned out someone was lying and they and and they actually had thrown the whole state into a lockdown, six day lockdown, and then in day two they came out and went one of the people has lied, like we're going to end the lockdown in in like a day or so. So yeah, we kind of went into this weird three day lockdown, didn't leave the house for a couple of days. Um, they went very, very, that's, that's the thing over here. Like they, they've gone so hard at it. Like they, they just were like, right, shut the borders, shut everything. Don't do anything. Shut the virus down. And it's, it's kind of worked. Like it really has. They're on top of it now. Yeah. Cause the whole, he was lying about the fact that he, he, he said he just visited the pizza shop, but really he, he was like a security guard. And so the fear had been if he'd caught it from just having walked in and walked out, then everyone else had walked in and walked out might have it. Um, but because yeah. it was like there more full time, it was, I think, that a bizarre story. It's a really weird story. I think it's about to, um, I think you're probably about to hear like that there's going to be some sort of criminal charges. So I think they've, they've unearthed oh, wow. something, something naughty going on there as well. That's why I think he was lying. Oh, I see. 
Well, that yeah. makes more sense. It doesn't excuse it yeah. any less. Probably makes yeah. it all the worse. No. But, um, no, it doesn't, doesn't make it great. Um, but, well, please, though, it's good to hear that South Australia is faring better than our green and pleasant lands. Oh, no, yeah. yeah. The coaching, Lewis, are you, so you're enjoying doing it out there. Is it something you'd want to keep, keep doing, you know, into the future? Maybe here? Um, do you know what? The coaching landscape for cricket, I, I feel, is a really, it's a really tough world. I think it's if you look at anyone who's done cricket coaching, unless even if they've nailed it, it's not it's not easy. Um, the travelling, the the ups and downs of the team doing well or or not. I don't really feel like I want to go too deep into the world of coaching if the if something happens in my life and it and and that seems to be where I'm going or opportunities happen and that that happens. Fair play, but I'm not actively seeking it. Um, I actually really enjoy some of the work and some of the stuff I think we'll talk about, which which is really around like player well-being and and managing the, the athlete as a whole. So running this junior section, I'm able to actually have an impact on these 80 kids and, and we're seeing such change in them. We, The team I live, uh, the place I live and the team I, I play for, we generally come from a low socioeconomic area. So we've got kids that we have a lot of, issues outside of cricket that we have to deal with that are just different from your standard bat bowl field sort of things you have every coach has to contend with and um yeah it's been a real that's been real fun because you're actually the way i've built the program is to grow them as individuals and then cricket as second and i can i'm in control of that i'm not molding my style to anyone else's i'm actually creating it i'm evolving it as it goes and and that's really given me the opportunity to broaden the way I coach, the way I do things. Obviously, I can I can offer great insight into so whether it's like a, a bowler or fielding or movement or or just how they take care of their mind. I can I can do all that, but I can actually do it on quite a, a broad spectrum. And um, if that ends up being potentially doing it for sort of in a coaching capacity later down the line, then again, that, that that's cool. But really, I'm pursuing obviously the app and, and sport yogi and, and everything going along with that. But I do enjoy the coaching. It's coaching's coaching and and it's the interaction you get with those individuals it's, it's great fun yeah and i think like you said we're going to get onto it in a bit i think sort of that that well-being side of the game but it does sound incredibly important and like mm. a really exciting opportunity you get to mold these young cricketers so early on help them implement these good habits that will be with them for their whole career which I'm, and just going so going back to the beginning of your story so you were born with um, Poland syndrome. And would you mind just quickly elaborating on that a bit? Just because I don't think many of our listeners will really know what that is. Yeah. That really is a big part of your 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 journey, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the reason why a lot of people uh, perhaps haven't heard of it is because it's pretty rare. So it's a, as a condition itself, it's a physical uh, condition that no one really, there's no known cause to it. And it manifests itself very differently for every person that has it. For me, it means that I'm missing my right pectoral muscle and two ribs that are directly behind it. If no one knows what a pectoral muscle is, it's your two big breast muscles. And for a, for a guy, it's my one on my right. That's the one I'm missing. So your big pec, like I don't have that. And the two ribs that were behind where that pec is are not there. So ultimately in my upper right portion of my chest, I'm only protected by skin between outside and my lung. So obviously if you're playing cricketers and your listen, listeners will be cricketers, cricket balls are very hard and they move very fast at a professional level so when you when you get struck by one for me it's potentially anywhere between a slight winding or puncturing my lung so 
that's something that I have to deal with. And then obviously the physical implication of having this huge muscle missing, I have like imbalances in my right shoulder and muscles that are doing the job that this pec's going to do. So I get huge amounts of sort of pain and spasming throughout my right side if I'm, I'm not on top of it. And like currently right now, I have a searing pain in my right shoulder that just have to deal with today because I woke up and I'd done a workout and just got a spasm in my right shoulder. And that's just one of the, the tricks and lovely things that I have to deal with every, every now and then just for pushing my body. But yeah, I was born with it and it's just completely random. There's no, there's no way of finding what cause it is. And so without a right pectoral muscle, the obvious nat- natural thing is I'm going to be a fast bowler bowling <laughs> at counter cricketers, you know, one of the most yeah. physically taxing things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm left-handed, so yeah, I was never going to be right-handed, but cricket got introduced to me through my grandfather in the garden, and and I have a younger sibling, I have a younger brother, he's only 14 months younger than me, and um, we just grew up playing cricket in the garden like everyone else would when they're they're playing sport, and I just wanted to beat him, I just literally wanted to beat my brother at everything, and um, that, that competition then grew, then I didn't have any school cricket, so we went and joined a local club, and once I hit club cricket, I just fell in love with being a fast bowl, a fast bowler and an opening bowler. And I was bowling to my brother in the garden. So he would bat, I would bowl. And then that's pretty much how we, we, we figured out the games. And, and that's what trades we ended up kind of doing in the sport. And um, as I got older and into club cricket, then the, the whole dream of becoming a professional came about when I went to go and watch Sussex play. And I would go and be a spectator and a little kid asking for autographs. And I was like, wow, this is, this is something I want to do. And, and funny enough, I, I then, I made, I was like 12, no, maybe younger than that. But I was in the Caribbean with my family on a holiday and the Australian cricket team were playing the West Indies in Barbados at the time. And we were on the beach and like the Australian cricket team just came out for like a recovery session on, on the beach where we were at. And I was like, in awe of them. It was like Adam Gilchrist, Matt Hayden going past. Anyway, we go and get lunch in a restaurant like over the road. And as we go in, like Jason Gillespie was sitting down and I've spoken, I've had, Jay, I've had Dizzy on my, my podcast and I told him this story. It's like the opening gambit. And, and I was like, apparently, and this is what my parents tell me. I was like, I was sitting down just staring at him and just like in awe of him. And, and I said, right, that's it. I want to be a professional cricketer. It was at that moment that I, I, I kind of said, yeah, this is what I want to do. And I told him that story. And yeah, after that, that was kind of right. This is what Lewis wants to do. How do we get there? But then recognising that it was actually going to be quite a tough ask because the whole county system is built on trials. You have to trial for the county. You have to try and get in and you have to be good enough to represent. And when I would go to those trials, I just was not good enough. Like I was not very skilled. I wasn't physically able compared to some of the other kids. Some kids bowled better than me, faster than me, definitely batted better than me. And I I saw that as like, well, I can't, I can't be as good as them with skill. So I need to find a way to stand out. And the way I did that at the time was, was, was ask questions. So I would just nag the coaches over and over and over again and just nag them, nag them, nag them. And then until eventually they, they would like talk to me and I just made myself sort of seen. I was just seen. And um, when it comes to selecting the team that I was like the last name read out on the sheet and I made it into the, the Sussex under 15 team and I was representing but then all that throughout that that season, I didn't play many games. I was always 13th, 14th, 15th man. And again, my dad was like, you need to stand out. You need to do something different. You need to be different. And he then came to me and said like, right, I've got a phone and here's the phone number for the head coach of Sussex. Like 
it was Mark Robinson at the time and the head coach of the senior, the, the pro squad, I'm 15 years old and he's handing me the phone going, right, call him and ask him to go for a net. Just go and, just go and train with him. And, uh, and I was like, what the hell? No, can't, this is not what I should be doing. Anyway, he was like, don't come out of that room until you've, you've called him. And uh, I've made the phone call and got a resounding no when I asked them, can I come and, can I come and train with you? And I would, next day, dad would give me the phone and the number. He'd be like, do it again, ring him, ask him again. And I did that endlessly, kept asking, asking, asking until one day they, they said, yeah, someone's injured, not, is sick. We need, we need an extra net bowler, you're in. And then I was like in and, and, and helping out and just carrying drinks, like throwing balls to players and like doing as much as I could. And I was just soaking in as much as I could. I was, had no right to be there, but I'd knocked on the door enough and, and managed to get myself in. And then just sort of grew from there into the point where I was like 12th man for like second team cricket. I actually then fractured my back uh, for the first time and I spent two years out of cricket then. So I went away and I had to work physically on my body because I was like, my body's broken and it's not work. It's, it's not. How old were you then when that happened, Lewis? So I was 16. So I was 16 when that happened very, very quickly. And then I didn't play cricket again until I was 18. And, um, and I saw everyone that I was competing with for spots and trying to become a pro. They were going off ahead of me and, and making it. And I was kind of being left in the gym and trying to do my rehab. And that was kind of a little bit of a turning point for me where I was like, this is the first time my body has failed me and I don't ever want that to happen. And I made pretty much a line in the sand. And I was like, whatever happens here, whether I am good enough or, or not good enough as a cricketer, I never want anyone to be able to use my, my physical attributes against me. I never want them to be able to turn to me and say like, we're not going to pick you because of your condition or, or your, or how you're doing or like your, your physical attributes. I wanted them to just pick me as a, as a cricketer. And if that was good enough or wasn't, then at least I tried my best. So I worked tirelessly on my physicality and I just made sure that I was fitter than everyone else and, and as strong as everyone else. So they just couldn't use it against me. And that was a big process. And then eventually sort of in between a, a three to four year period, I went, came out to Australia and came out to here in Adelaide for an academy. And then I, I literally sat down with the head coaches at Sussex and said, like, tell me what I need to do in order to become a pro, give me a list of things. And then I came out here and worked away at that list and came back and eventually it all fed into an opportunity. And I found myself on the bus traveling around on first team with being 12th man for the Sussex first team, trying to help them out. And then one day someone got injured on a, Yes, Arafat got injured in the warm-up and I, I was playing a first-class game. That was it. Like it went from literally almost falling out of the game in six months prior to then making my championship debut. Um, and then, yeah, second game took a fifer and signed a three-year contract. Sussex all happened very, very quickly. <laughs> and uh, it was good fun. Two thoughts on, on that as you're speaking. One, did anyone kind of sit down and say to you, look, mate, you're missing half your pecs basically you're missing a whole right pectoral muscle that's going to hold you back you're probably not going to make it you don't look like you're going to be good enough was there clearly that wasn't coming from your family your uh, yeah. parents might had like a lot of belief in you and but did were there coaches were there anyone who kind of sat down and tried to give you a reality check or was everyone just telling you go for it no i think that was actually a little bit of a blessing that i didn't i didn't have that but i i also think that there was no way anyone could tell me that I wasn't trying hard enough. So whether there were conversations going on behind me, whether it was like, like he's not good enough, but bless him, he's having a pretty good go. Um, 
I was I literally had the blinkers on. I would I wouldn't have even heard it even if they were saying it to me. I I genuinely don't think if even if someone had said something to me, I I don't think it would affected me because I was like that period when I broke my back at 16, I was literally going in every Saturday night into the gym. I was being kicked out by the guys who were running the indoor centre at Sussex at Hove because I was there at like 10 o'clock at night trying to figure out how to bowl better. And and like I was just, I was such a little weasel almost. Like I was constantly everywhere, just nagging away, trying to be in in different areas and, and different facilities, trying to just get better. And I was just renowned for that kind of work ethic and, I, and like I said I don't think if anyone had said any again like, had said something against me I don't think I would have I've seen it I think I just genuinely had the blinkers on where do you think that drive comes from so I, I'd say I've, I'm fairly driven I work hard you know I don't do things in half measures but that I'm not that driven do you know what I mean like, that is yeah. an incredible drive is that again from your parents family I mean your dad sounds like an absolute force of nature you know you're going in that room until <laughs> you make the phone call and you're going to do it tomorrow and you're going to do it tomorrow yeah you're gonna... Yeah, I mean, he was a, he was a stubborn he's a stubborn man, and um, yeah, I think uh, I think I my my parents are very driven in what they do. Like they they they've always created a better life for themselves. So they they didn't start from masters, and they've created more for themselves. And I think both myself and my brother, it's, it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that both myself and my brother are, we don't work for someone. We're trying to do our own thing because um, we're we're driven in trying to succeed ourselves. So I, I used to hate people telling me that I was driven. I used to hate it because I wanted people to tell me that I was a good bowler. But I think now I've recognized that actually having something like drive, having a personality trait, having that, that innate ability to, to be driven at whatever I'm put, putting my mind to is something that I'm now incredibly proud of. And where it came from, I just think it's it's a culmination of multiple different events. I can't tell you a moment where I was like, bang, that's where Lewis Hatchett became driven. I can just tell you that like, I didn't really ever see a choice between, right, if that's what it takes to, to do something great, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to set myself up for. And um, that's what I just kept doing. I, I was very motivated in, in seeing how other athletes had done it themselves. And I would try and walk a similar path to them. And anyone who'd done something great, I'd be like, right, what have they done? How can I try, maybe try and tap into a little bit of that and add it into my life and do it differently? Can you tell a bit about your county career? Any standout moments? Um, you, you mentioned getting the FIFA in your second game. Yeah. I think... Just to add to that, well, Michael said, you know, you said you're driven, but you clearly are a good bowler, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't take 100 <laughs> professional wickets. Um, yeah, go on. Some of your highlights. Yeah, so... <laughs> So yeah, I think the I think I don't actually I think the day I actually that Pfeiffer for Le, at Leicester that is, as much as it was my second championship game, that was the day I I got told that I was going to be a professional cricketer, and I don't think that any any Test cricketer, first class cricketer, they will that should be a highlight for them because it culminates a journey that's happened years before that, and it not only that it ends up being the the total sort of work from everyone that's been putting into you I was very humbled when I had that moment because I remember sitting in the sitting in the van I was actually driving a van back to the hotel with the physio and the analyst and both those two guys had been with me when I was injured and down and and then both of them had seen me from being a real youngster to then being told that day at Leicester we're going to hand you a, th a contract at Sussex and they were 
I just remember driving it. It was almost a really emotional moment. And just Paul and, and Chris, they just said, mate, we are so proud of you for what you've done. Like, no one deserves this more than you. And, and it was just a real honest moment because there are people that will congratulate you on getting your, your and I've seen it happen many a time when people are congratulated and given their professional contract. But like the, the sincerity and how they said it and what they did, like there was real emotion in how they said it. And, and that just stuck with me massively. But then from like game experiences, things like playing against Australia in 2013, like that was a very good game for me and sort of stood out in a, in a sad way now that I've got Philip Hughes out twice in that game. And obviously you never really see into the future, but obviously how much that means now, just playing against someone like him. And, and then also just other games. I just remember a four-day game against Warwickshire at Horsham. And like we, it was like a genuine battle over four days, like proper battle and, the stuff that even the fans don't see that's going on and, and the stuff in the game, like we were trying to stop them from doing things to the ball and like roughing it up and they're trying to stop us from doing things to get the ball swinging and like all this stuff that's going on that is completely oblivious to like the, the outside world. It was, and it was such a seesaw of a game. There was high emotion off the field. And then, and then we win on like the last few minutes of the, the last session of the lot on the last day. Yeah. Just mad mad result and just stuff like that it's really cool but ultimately and you'll hear it from everyone that retires and finishes the game it's the people it's, the, it's generally the people that you are so glad you met along the way and like, I wouldn't be out here in Adelaide if I'd never made it I imagine the the signing of that pro contract is a real watershed moment like you said I mean you're speaking to two pretty average cricketers I'm a bit more average than Rob has to be said but like that's the absolute <laughs> crystallization of the dream you're a professional cricketer this yeah. is what you do and then like you said you get to see all this other stuff that no one else will get to see because they're not in that world um, yeah I, get, I guess you probably get to see more of it now in the world because because uh, of social media and just the access you get to players but i think um i think yeah nothing really stops that that sense of like achievement once you get it yeah so the goal of being professional contract you get it on that day in leicester what was the goal after that? Did you have a? Did you have another one? Did you have a? Right now it's England. Now it's. Oh, I think you. Everyone. Everyone will say like, "Yeah, I want to play for England." But I think for me, I was just really keen to play. I just <laughs> wanted to play a game. Like I was twenty years old, and like I just wanted to play. I just wanted to have a really successful career at Sussex. I wanted to make an impact at Sussex. I wanted to make an impact on the community. I wanted to make an impact on my hometown. Like. There was nothing, not only was it a proud moment to get that contract at Sussex, but meant more, I feel, to me at the time because I was a homegrown player. I came from the countryside of Sussex and I, I wanted to play for Sussex. Um, so for me, it was about having a, an impactful career there. And then if, and if stuff like that, like England came about, then that's what, that is the ultimate dream. But I think you're, you're not thinking about the here and now if you're thinking about playing for England because when you're in the professional environment there are so many elements that could stop you from doing that that you'll only feel a lower self-worth if you don't achieve it so you're just constantly if you're constantly striving for that end goal then you're just never going to feel accomplished if you don't get it so I think uh, it, for me I don't whether I recognize that consciously or not I, I was just so keen on playing well for Sussex at the time that um, it was just game by game game by game just get to the next game and hopefully get picked hopefully get picked and then and then when you get picked play well 
So to take you from like, you know, the highs of your first pro contract and the, the, the your best moment, just quickly, I think I remember reading your T20 debut for Sussex. I think the first over went for 22. And, um, you know, and I think you've spoken about that it didn't go well, partly because you didn't get on top of your nerves. And we've also spoken about the physical challenge you faced. What about the mental side of stuff? And that kind of segues nicely into the next part of what we want to talk about, which is what you're mm. working on now. Yeah, so, jeez, um, I actually think like that day is such a vivid memory of mine now. It's such a vivid memory, but obviously not for the right reasons, but also for the, like I genuinely look back at myself and, and look at that guy that was on Sky Sports watching watching that footage back. And I just look at the like the fear in my eyes that I recognised that was inside. And I was I was kidding myself at the time when I said I wasn't. Um, and I just, I look at a guy who was standing at the top of his mark, so unequipped, to deal with the situation that he was in that uh that it actually is quite frightening how i was even standing there but it, there was a culmination of events that happened sort of before that and i ultimately think i hadn't been conditioned well enough to deal with something like that occasion mentally because i feel i was in an environment where they felt you should just know how to do it you should just know and i, I think it's genuinely taught i think it is a learned behavior whether it's and, and, and that learning curve can happen very quickly or, or not. And it actually stems from the people that you're around, the environment that you're in. And um, I, I just look at it and, I, and that, that panic that I had at the top of my mark and just, un, I was so unsure of myself. I was so unsure of myself with what I was going to do. And I just blurred through that over and bang, it goes for 22. But yeah, right now with all the tools and tricks that I know of how to like maintain some sort of composure uh, i wish i'd known that then but the psychological stuff it, it for me is is genuinely built not only in just your training but with the people that you're around the team that you're around the coaches that you have it's just a huge is it, there's so many different segues we could go off into but ultimately it is that environment it doesn't just have to be on the individual but the individual needs to have an understanding of their own mind and have an understanding of how to manage that in moments of pressure how, how did you learn? How did, you said it could be a steep learning curve. Did you then learn on the job and started performing better quickly? Or I, I think, now I think once you've retired, you could have learned some of the skills you wish you'd had then? Yeah, mostly when I retired. But I think when you're playing, experience, nothing beats experience. Nothing, nothing will beat experience. Nothing will beat failing, learning from it. So even as much as I failed from that first game, that 22 and over, I learned from it straight away. And the ultimate lesson I learned was like, nothing will be as bad as that ever again. Nothing will be as bad as you make you. You've done your debut. You're done. You're not making your debut next game. So that's it. You're done. You've gone through that whole experience. Now try to enjoy the rest of it. And, and then it would be to be go to work into training. And, and I think ultimately the more I had an understanding of my skill, because ultimately, ultimately I was standing at the top of my mark in that day, in that debut, very unsure of my skill. I wasn't that unsure. I was, in, I was sure with a red ball in my hand, sure-ish. I was still learning. But as a 21-year-old with a white ball in my hand, I didn't really have a great understanding of my skill. I didn't have an, uh, an understanding of it. And I think now playing even, yes, it's just premier grade cricket out here. But even if I come up against like a, like a big bash player that's coming into the comp right now, or if it's a first-class cricket that I'm up against, I have so much more confidence in myself because I know what I'm trying to deliver. I have such an understanding. So experience teaches that, but then ultimately there's 
there's the work that I've done on my mind to have an understanding of where my mind goes in certain moments and, and what to look out for, what triggers to have. It's never perfect. It's never going to be perfect, but I'm, you, I get, you get better at it. You, you learn from each experience that you do. Do you think Sussex could have equipped you better? So we were talking to uh, Paul Nixon last week uh, and he's Leicestershire head coach at the moment and they're doing all sorts of personality profiles and, and you know, all, all that sort of, that side of it. So they know how people work, how to get the best out of them, how to have people in the best mental head space so they can perform their skills best. Now, granted, we're talk, we've moved on eight, nine years, so things have changed yeah. in our time. But and you don't want to speak ill of your, the county that gave you your dream, mm. but do you think they were ill-equipped in that area? No, I did, I did, we did all that stuff. We did all the personality profiling stuff. I went through it, like, and I love it. I think it's really valuable. I, I, cannot, I cannot recommend that sort of stuff to anyone highly enough. I think probably where it fell down was, was ultimately the care for the individual. There was, there was a real sort of like, you either, you either have it or you, you don't. And there was no record, recognizing that you're just learning in that experience. And I was in a very transitional period in the game where it was coming from like Sussex. We'd been the best, the most successful team in a decade between 2000 and 2010. And then, I mean, they haven't won anything since then, but like we, we were then losing players that would have been in that squad and they were retiring and, and, and they, hit, they were ultimately, they were experienced cricketers that could just go out onto the field and win because they were good enough. They were at that beautiful level where they all had great control of their skill. And you got young people like myself and other pros that were coming in and out of the team. And we were between 20 and 24 and we're still trying to learn our trade. Not everyone knows their trade at that age and everyone is learning it. And ultimately the, the quicker that learning experience comes, comes from when you're, when your coaches and you, you, you kind of click with your coaches. As soon as I started working with someone like John Lewis, it clicked like the learning curve just massively shot up and um, it was just through the the relationship we had together like that was ultimately the best the best part of it and then you start to recognize how, where you're going to get better and how you're going to do it and alongside this stuff you were doing with coaches like John Lewis and other things that Sussex were doing at what point did you start doing your own practicing of yoga mindfulness activities that sort of thing yeah so the whole journey of this was was me getting fed up of getting injured all the time like little i mean like little um hamstring tears and stuff like that which is frustrating as hell and any any sportsman will know like any time off the park is is a ball ache but for me like john lewis had actually said to me hatch have you ever thought about trying yoga like and he'd done yoga he'd done like a couple of yoga sessions and i was like mate i'm not a hippie i'm not joining the ashram like i'm not i'm i'm not a skinny white woman drinking lattes this is not what i am like i'm I don't do that sort of thing. He was like, mate, give it a go. So it was like a pre-season and I was away on a pre-season, very fortunately in the Caribbean. And I was like, do you know what? Screw this. I'm going to find some, some yoga online, typed in like yoga for athletes in Google, didn't find anything, found a little like PDF that I could print off, took it away with me and then grabbed a mat and, and hid behind like a tree where I was staying and, and just did yoga for like 20 minutes and felt better. I was like, Jesus, that's all right. But I committed to doing it every day. And I just kept committing to doing it every day, every day, every day. And I kept feeling better. And I was like, do you know what? This is making a difference. And then I went from getting in, injured every three months to not getting an injury in 18 months, like a little, like a hamstring tear or something like that. And so much so that the coaches and the backroom staff were like, this is working. Like let's introduce a, 
a yoga teacher into the the whole setup at Sussex and we would do yoga in the mornings but um there was still that missing element for me where it was still very hippie it was still very feminine and it was marketed in that way and I was kind of biting the bullet with the app that I was using at the time and I, it was again they would use Sanskrit and I was like Jesus okay I'll, I'll just block that out and I'll just do what they're doing and I'll just get through it and um yeah, I, I, kept, I felt the difference. And I also then started seeing the difference that the boys felt when, when, it, when it was happening at, at the club. And whilst my own experience was going on, I started then introducing, trying out things like meditation. I might like, whilst I, after I'd finished stretching for 20 minutes, I'd just sit there and, and just be silent for a bit. And I started to understand mindfulness. But I think that was where a little seed was growing in my mind about where there was potentially a missing gap for athletes and where to, where to move it. And that's kind of like what I've, what I've done now. So you went injury-free for a while, but obviously, mm. sadly, your body failed you one, one too many times, really, in terms of calling the end of your career. Mm. Quick, quickly tell us about that. And then once it came clear that that was, you know, you couldn't play professional cricket anymore, was the, the yoga stuff straight away right now, that's what I'm going to do? Or did you have a bit of time slightly sitting at home thinking, what next? Yeah, so um, literally, can remember the day, 7th of July, 2016, I was in a warm-up game and then bang, one ball, my back just went and I just didn't really accept it at the time, but ultimately went for an MRI. Next day, physio says to me, Lewis, you fractured your back. It's worse than it's been before. And you know what that means? Got to stop bowling for six months. And I just remember crying that afternoon in the car park at the ground and because I kind of knew, I think, what had happened. And uh, yeah, the, the fracture in my back was worse than what I'd had before. It was starting to get a lot worse. I'd had fractures before, but the surgeon just said that it's not a case of if, it's a case of when. And uh, that was it. I retired pretty much three months later. And after that, I fell into a really, like every cricketer does, I, I went through this real identity crisis, but I didn't really know who I was. I didn't really, I'd lost the thing that was identifying me, which was being a cricketer. I was a professional cricketer. What are you up to, Lewis? I'm playing cricket. Everyone, that's my constant answer. Now what are you doing, Lewis? I don't really know who how to answer that. So um, I spent a lot of time dwelling. I didn't really do much for a while. And it was literally one moment where I kind of had a bit of a not a eureka moment, but I was like, maybe I'll, I'll move into this space. And, and I decided to, to travel out to Hawaii to go and become a yoga teacher. And the reason I did that was because I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to, tr- I'm going to do this and I'm going to see the very end of that spiritual spectrum. Like I want to, go, I don't want to go to like a studio in London. I want to go to a very, very elusive place where I, I'm just going to be immersed in this, in this world. And went out to the big Island in Hawaii. And I tell you boys, this, this thing was, yeah, this was, it was wild. Like you, I mean, you're waking up in the morning and it was like silent breakfast in the morning you've seen like grown men hugging each other, crying in each other's arms over their gluten-free cocoa pops. And it's like, this is so far-fetched from the world I've come from, like sport in turn, like in a changing room, no one talks about their emotions. Mm. And then next thing is you're doing ecstatic dance. You're doing like, you're doing like hug parties. You're, you're like, there's people just not with any clothes on. And you're like, this is pretty out there. And ultimately 
it was an amazing experience if i'm honest like it completely changed the way i look at the world look at myself because i was able to completely strip away didn't strip but like strip away the, the idea the, the say, idea of, yourself into it fully yeah the, the i did it wasn't the idea of like who who lewis was as a cricketer so i was there thinking like i'm i'm lewis hatchett this former professional athlete and when i was there that, that meant nothing it just meant absolutely nothing it was really humbling experience uh, but ultimately like learned the the whole knowledge of yoga mindfulness and meditation and breath work and practice there and I got it and I was like great awesome and I, I took all what I learned and came back and I was like now I need to be able to tell this to the athletes of the world or that person who I am and and try and give this to them in a way where we can I can meet them halfway and meet them at a place where they understand it and it's going to benefit them and that's where the idea of sport yogi came like just basically creating a I knew that I wanted to create an online resource I knew that I wanted to create something that was really easy and accessible and then put an entrepreneurial head on I wanted to create something that was big so I wanted to create something that was scalable I didn't want to just be doing a local class or a local session on a mm. Wednesday night at the local leisure center which I did do in the end well I've, I've done that path I went down that path and I recognized that I wanted to do something bigger and that's where the whole process of and journey of getting to where I am now, which is releasing the app and, and being able to impact as many athletes as I can by introducing to them ways in which they can just feel, move and train better and ultimately taking care of their body and their mind and looking at the athlete as a whole rather than just this pound of meat that is running around and then just being battered and bruised and then discarded with no idea of who they are and what, they, what they're about at the end of whether it's an amateur career or a professional career? I'll, well, I'll, I'll shamelessly plug um, your app for you because this morning um, I downloaded it and thought, you know what, I'll give it a try. Uh, and my wife has previously cajoled me into doing yoga with Adrienne on YouTube. Um, and I struggled, oh, yeah, okay. I struggled with that for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, it was the, the skinny white woman with the latte and the plants <laughs> and the music and all, all that kind of thing. Uh, but the thing that I found most difficult about it is that I am hopelessly inflexible. So really, I can't touch my toes, anything. Uh, yeah. And she makes it all, made it all sound so easy. And I was just moved into this like downward dog and it was, it was supposed to be kind of relaxing and the music uh, and it was, it was good, but I was just kind of in constant pain the whole time and not really enjoying it. So I did uh, download your app uh, this morning and there's one on sort of hip, hip flexibility and think, yeah, that yeah. is something I'm lacking flexibility in. And it was, it was much more real, kind of just down to earth. It felt like a, a low-key exercise class. Yeah. Um, just a, a normal man with a South of England accent telling me now do yeah. this and I'll do that. This one might hurt a little bit, so go easy. And it was just a yeah. little which is more kind of my experience of what it's like. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, and I'm not there to get, yeah, to have the Karma Sutra read to me or whatever it might be. So, yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed it. And so I would recommend to um, our listener base and um, do download it give it a try it's some of it's free and then there is depending on and i'll see how, mm. how much I, I enjoy it you can then sort of yeah. sign up and get access to more more classes um but it is a good resource did you did you build the app yourself or did you hire a, a web designer app designer to do this or what was that so this this is um the app's the only thing i haven't built so i knew again that i wanted to build something and i knew if i wanted to do it I, ultimately and weirdly i wanted all control of it i wanted to have an idea of like how to build the content out but i also didn't have a budget to do it i didn't have a very big budget so 
I knew that I needed a place to film. I knew that I needed a camera to film. I knew that I need to learn how to edit the videos. I need to learn how to build a website because before the app, it was actually a website where it was like you could log into the website and it was just so clunky. But um, I needed to know how to do all of that. So I learned myself. So I learned, I bought a camera. I learned how to edit, uh, just watching so many YouTube videos over and over again, staying up late at night, figuring it out. Uh, I didn't have a studio and I didn't want to rent anywhere because I was like, I don't know whether, where I can do it and what I should do. Um, so I actually dismantled my bed and then I, I slept on a mattress for two years just on the floor because then when I would film, I'd just flip the mattress up and then move that aside uh, and then just film and turned my room into a studio. So that was, um, that was like a real easy way of doing it. And, um, and, and then as it all just started progressing, I was like, oh, the site's a bit clunky. And then I'd, I'd, I'd met these guys online through Instagram that, that could create an app and, and they were like well we can create the app we've got a way to do it do you want to partner and then you create the content and then that's where we're at now amazing and um what would you say the main benefits i mean if you i mean rob's i think done a pretty good job of selling it there but um what would you say the main benefits of this sort of body mind holistic approach are both for sport and life in general well, ultimately, it's like if you look at anything in, in sport right now, it's about just going like harder, faster um, and just go go better. But a lot of that doesn't in reality, in reality, if you're actually doing something from from a performance basis, you need rest and recovery. You need to have slow down sometimes. So, yes, this this allows you to recover, stretch, um, prepare, like warm up and, and be ready for for what you're about to do. But the stuff I am really interested in is the mindset stuff, the breathing techniques, the whether it's getting a better night's sleep, whether it's like there's there's mind sessions on there that are are built towards like certain situations that athletes will find themselves in. Now, if people can bear my voice, then they will listen to me talking you through like potential uh, breathing exercises that you can use in situations that you may face in your sporting career. So it might be overcoming pre-competition nerves it might be pre-training nerves it might be your debut like exactly what i went through sort of thing and there's so much scope for what we're trying to produce moving forward which is around whether it's like building confidence overwhelm like self-doubt and all these different areas that athletes and sports people find themselves in regardless whether they're a cricketer rugby player footballer whatever the how your mind and your body works stays the same what you play changes so we've cre we've created a platform where any athlete can go on there and and use it to to just start to learn how to use this stuff because if i go up to someone and especially an athlete and a male athlete and say do you want to do yoga i'm met with no so this allows that to break down that barrier but they they also know the benefit of it they know that they should stretch the amount of people whether it's like your age my age and uh, add a, a, a like 30 nine-year-old players in his last year of playing they all come to me and say like jesus my hamstrings are tight this is tight so whether it's physical or i've got kids that i'm coaching in my team that are so nervous before they come to training they're physically sick like they they have no control over that physical reaction because they don't have a tool how to deal with it so what i'm trying to do is to create those tools I was going to ask, actually, you kind of addressed it there, but you spoke about when you went to Hawaii, it was such a big contrast from the dressing room environment you were used to, where no one would speak about how they were feeling, any worries they had. And you just mentioned, you know, if you went up to a male sports athlete, you'd still typically get a no in response to yoga. But do you think the stigma is going away a little bit? Do you think that stigma around talking about your feelings, talking about your worries is going away a bit? 
Yeah, I think it is. But I also think that one and, and all of the campaigns that are like, we've got Are You OK over here and uh, it's not weak to speak. And there's so many different so many different campaigns that are going on in, in the UK around mental health and speaking about it. And I had this with Luke Sutton, uh, the former Lancashire wicketkeeper on my podcast, where we were speaking about it and saying, well, then what? Once you speak about it, then what? You have that conversation. But then when that conversation ends, you go back in your car, you go home and you're with your thoughts again. So this whole process and what I'm trying to educate people on is to teach them that there are mechanisms in which you can just control yourself like as in control your physical body whether that's in a game whether that's away from the game and you just bring back some control into your life and that is that is more of a practical tool to use rather than just saying let's talk about it which is totally what you should do and that that brings the awareness about it but then actually think that there's a difference between having awareness about something and then doing something about it you can be aware that you need to make a change and do something, but if you don't actually take a step forward and, and do it, you're not going in the right direction and you just won't go in the right direction. You won't make that change. And all you, all I'm trying to be is that little first stepping stone into a world that can help these people, both body and mind. I guess by packaging it as that very practical support, you're going to get more people interested in it who maybe wouldn't have been if it was seen as something a bit more abstract or optional, I suppose. Um, yeah, well, I think even just by putting the word sport in it, changes the dynamic massively even if i just generally put myself back into my shoes as a young lad and i go if i saw something that had sport and yoga in it, knowing that i wanted to get into something like yoga mindfulness meditation i didn't want to go into these other realms but suddenly something said sport on it bang i'm in like the same way you go for a car and it's got the sport version i'll have that one definitely It's it's the same thing like it's just it's creating a community that the athletes feel they're they're meant to be there that's where they should be yeah, I mean, a few days ago, Rob said to me, like, um, when he was looking at yogi sport for the first time, I said, is there definitely yoga involved? Because, uh, like, you know, is it is it more sport? Is it more whatever? And I was like, well, actually, from what I've read, I think Lewis might have packaged it like that a bit so it doesn't have the stigma of yoga attached to it when people first read it. And so that makes a lot of sense, what you're saying. Yeah, really a part of building the brand and stuff like that and building out the brand. And, and, what, and I'll move into, like, I really want to move into things like nutrition and, and understanding that, like, nutrition is not just about, like, fueling your body as an athlete, but you're actually looking after yourself as a human being as well. No, definitely. Um, and just finally, do you want to tell us a bit about your own podcast just quickly? Yeah, so Ra- uh, Raising Your Game podcast, and that's just with me again and speaking to a, a wide, wide range of athletes from around the world, athletes and coaches and I just pick their brains on their own journeys, but also how they've managed their bodies and their minds and, and any advice, insights and ideas that they can share that young athletes and, and athletes of any age and, and ability can uh, get something out of. And yes, yeah, it's, it's been, it's just, again, like probably yourself, it started as something that was a, a bit of fun and I've had some amazing conversations of, with people and there's some really cool ones that I'm, I'm looking forward to having as well. If you had to pick one person who's been on your podcast so far, who was really insightful, interesting, people worth listening to. Oh my God, that's actually such a tough, such a tough question. Um, I mean, if you want something around like, like leadership, like Paul Ruse was a really good one, but um, Anna Mears, I'll tell you what, Anna Mears, the Australian cyclist, her story is amazing. Um, even Bruno Saltor, the Brighton Premier League footballer, like he, he was amazing. He was the first guest. He was, he was episode number one. And he was, he was awesome. 
just uh, his outlook on sport. He played Premier League till he was like 38. So, yeah, just very, very insightful. But no, there's, there's so many different things for people and, and it's very easy to navigate. Like the, each episode tells you what's kind of to look for in each episode. So, right. Well, um, Lewis, it's been, it's been fantastic to have you on. Wish you all the best. Glad to know you're, you're healthy and safe and have a bit more freedom than we do here at the moment. Um, but yeah, have, um, have a good one. All the best for the future. And um, I'll let you know how I get on with Sport Yogi if I'm still I've, using it in I've some a, time. I've had a great idea, Rob. I think we should get together in a park, you know, legally allowed, whatever, and try and film ourselves doing a couple of exercises together. I think that'd be quite, I think for that'd sure. be good for yeah. us. Quite good fun for people to watch us do it as well, maybe. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, let me know and I'll put it out on my social channels. Yeah, oh, I'll put it out on them. Um, on that but uh no guys great job on the podcast like and these things aren't easy and yeah so well done on doing all this cheers lewis i hope you manage to get home as well at some point i hope you manage to get I'm back coming home i'm coming home in april oh brilliant yeah. okay awesome yeah. all right well good luck and cheers lewis thank you cheers guys lovely stuff how was that for you michael you know what I'm really happy we're back doing this podcast again, Rob. And I remember, because I know we've released a few early this season, and like you said at the beginning, it took us a while to release this one. But I remember recording this one with Lewis, and I just felt really lucky to be able to speak to this, you know, former high-level cricketer who's got a really interesting story to tell and a really interesting perspective on the game. Um, and I thought he spoke brilliantly on um, the skills he's picked up since being a professional cricketer. Um, and he gave us an insight that me and you could never have got, really, from speaking to anyone we know. Um, so, no, it was wonderful having him on. Really glad he came on. How about you? Well, he's done wonders for my hamstring flexibility as well. <laughs> I still have the Sport Yogi app on my, on my iPad. Moved it from my phone to the iPad, so it's a little bit more formalised. Uh, and so, bigger screen, so I could see him more clearly. And, and the hamstring flexibility class has, has been doing me wonders. So, for that alone, I was grateful to have him on. But... Yeah, I, I, it was a very inspiring story as well, how he came to be a professional cricketer, the whole Poland syndrome and the, the challenges that posed for him growing up and playing and that, that sheer perseverance and drive to make it. Uh, I was thinking about him nagging coaches and, and calling up until he got the net opportunity that led to the next stage and the next stage. There's something to be said for sheer doggedness and, and hard work. Yeah, clearly just an absolute force of nature, uh, Lewis. And I think people should look out for um, maybe some good content. When me and Rob are allowed to see each other, uh, maybe a bit of us doing some sport, sports yoga in a park somewhere, that'd be good fun to do. Oh, it'd be great. I'm, I'm sure I'll surprise you at my how supple I've become from just a handful of sport yogi sessions. Uh, but... Yeah, no, a, a really good one, a really interesting guest. And um, yeah, excited to do some yoga with you in, in the park off the back of it. Well, nothing will be as exciting as realising you were actually quite good at five-a-side football uh, up front, which I just didn't believe from having known you, but you were. So, you know, now I've seen that, I'll believe anything. So I'm sure you're going to be an absolute master of the, the mm. yoga practice. All right. Very kind of you. Well, Michael, uh, have a very, very happy Christmas and catch up with you soon. <laughs>